Comments to make. Um, Thanksgiving's November 23rd this year. Somebody was asking if it was on a Wednesday. Uh, nope, it's on a Thursday, like every other year. Um, <clears throat> Christmas in Ripley is going to be December 9th. Um, we'll have communion Sunday, December 3rd, and next Sunday, Tom Scriven will be preaching here. Um, which is a blessing to have different people come in and preach all the time. Any other announcements that are not in the bulletin? I think the shoe boxes are being taken down to Westfield today with another group of people who I think they go to the Lighthouse Church. Is that true, Walt? Yeah. The Lighthouse Church get collected there and then shipped out. So um, today's it for bringing your shoe boxes. Any other announcements? Okay. Turn your hymn books to number 52. To God be the glory. Number 52. Maybe not. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus. 
So as we've been working through Second uh, Peter chapter two, there have been there's much in parallel with Second Peter chapter two with the book of Jude, and so this week I wanted to read the book of Jude, and you'll probably, hopefully, if you've been paying attention, you'll be hearing some things in the book of Jude that sound very familiar, <laughs> that are can, the same, parallel with Second Peter. So the book of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Kor's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch... The seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God 
waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. Turn your hymn books to 66. I am his and he is mine. Number 66. <coughs> We're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 4. I didn't pick the hymns. My wife's correcting me that we're doing 1, 2, and 4. <laughs> love with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know, spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me We're going to go right into our worship songs, and then we'll have prayer afterwards, so you'll get to share your thanksgiving and requests during our song time, and then we'll pray after we sing worship songs. So let's uh, stand and sing together. I'm moving David right along here, so the Revelation song. <clears throat> Thank you. 
have any praises or prayer requests? Bringing the kids up here so they can sign, so. Yes. Yeah, we're going to miss them. Janet? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Others? Be thinking about it. If you can give a I praise. Praise the Lord, too. I said, uh, what we think about you and by yesterday, day before that. How much words did you have said in your, in your yesterdays that are empty words? And our words of praise and encourage each other each and every day. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's sing Give Thanks, and if you, we'll give you another opportunity to give praises or prayer requests.
Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else has a praise or a prayer request? Tom. Well, I don't have to turn around the clock because I can't hear, I can hear most of you give a testimony or something, but I can't understand what you say. So I, I don't gain much by it, but other than the experience of having you speak out. But I, I want to be, tell you about being thankful. I think things I'm thankful for have changed over the years. As I get older, I'm thankful for different things. Not that I'm not thankful for things I used to be, but the closer I get to the able of the Lord, the more I think about Him and, and that. And I appreciate this church and the years I've been here and the people that have, that have been a part of this church and willingly offer their time and their love. And, and uh, I think of Pastor and the years he's been here at Terry and, and, and so many others. But it, it's just been a wonderful blessing to be a part of this church all these years. And uh, I hope it carries on after I'm gone. Unless the Lord comes back first, I kind of wish he would. But, but I'm thankful for being here and being a part of your, your church uh, group. And, and I hope uh, that each of you can grow and look forward to the time of the church and sharing and, and learning and growing. And I'm thankful for each one that's had a part in their church or officers or people that clean the church, uh, whatever you might do, Sunday school teachers and everything that makes a church. And, and I'm thankful for the fellowship I've enjoyed with you over the years. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay, you get one chance after this song and then we're done for today. We'll just pray. Sing gratitude.
Have a praise. Up here, I'm thankful that they sing so loud because I lost several of my singers during this song. <laughs> and I lost another one because she was affected by her grandmother. Oh. Anyway, sometimes songs bring us to tears, not because we're sad but because we're so well blessed and it makes us choke up and cry and those are tears of joy and we're grateful for that relationship with the Lord. So let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, you are amazing to love us the way you do, to have sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us and have him rise from the dead that we might have life and have it with you eternally. Lord, we know we're in that eternal life already, but we're looking forward to the day when you come and receive us to yourself so there be no sin nature and no sin, no death, no sickness, just amazing life with you. As Tom said earlier, we, many of us look forward to that day and hope that perhaps he would come. Your son would come before we even die. But if it isn't so, Lord, continue to spread your word through this church, through people who are still here loving you for generations to come that people might know your son, Jesus Christ, and have a relationship with you. Lord, we do miss people when they go, and we're going to miss the Grubers when they travel south, and they're not here for some months. We pray you'll give them safety and great joy and, and worshiping in Florida and uh, the life they get to enjoy there with friends. Lord, we know others will be traveling in times to come, and uh, we pray that you'd help us to remember them in our prayers and to 
constantly think of one another, that we might love one another. By this all men will know that we are your disciples as we have love one for another. So Lord, we pray today as we together, a loving family, would share and worship you. We pray that it might be a day when just from our hearts we will worship you with song, we will worship you by hearing your word and responding to you. We're so grateful that you've given us your words in written print. Help us, Lord, in our relationships with you to know your presence. And we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Those ages four to seven, dismissed to junior church. We are continuing our study in 2 Peter chapter 2. My goal is to finish chapter 2 today. Looks like Tom intended to give me lots of time to, to do that. So. <laughs> the Lord's in charge. We'll see how long it goes. So we're going to begin, we're picking up in verse 10 of chapter 2, but I want to read through chapter 2 of 2 Peter to refresh in your memory what we are studying. So in chapter 2 of 2 Peter, it begins, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous law, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them, Day after day he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. 
suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So this chapter, Peter has been focusing specifically on false teachers. He, he began this section, we tried, I tried to tie it into the prior end of chapter 1, pointing out that the way we can identify a false teacher is by knowing the scriptures, that they will contradict the scriptures. And then the following section after that, what we looked at last week, gave examples from biblical history of condemnation of false teachers and the impending destruction of them. And it also reminded us of the ability of God to save his own. Like it says in verse 3, in the second half of that, it says, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not sleep. Peter's pointing out the end of these false teachers who seem to have so much power and authority is ultimately condemnation and destruction. So some of the examples Peter gave in those those verses of 4 through the first half of verse 10 were fallen angels that are held for judgment. He also talked about the destruction that was brought upon the world with the flood. And in that destruction, in God's judgment, Noah Noah was saved. God saved Noah. And then again, we had the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the midst of that, Lot and his family are preserved. And that section ended in verses 9 and 10. It said, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So that section was pointing out God knows how to punish and God knows how to save. Do not be anxious about these things. So the remainder of chapter 2 is this description of all these false teachers, all the things that characterize them, the, the attributes of a false teacher. 
But he begins in the end of the second half of verse 10 there. He says, well, one of the things he says in verse 10, he says, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So many of the things that we're going to look at in the rest of chapter 2 are descriptions of, okay, this defiling passion and this despising of authority that you see. And what you, if you remember our studies in 1 Peter, these false teachers are in direct violation of many of Peter's instructions that were given in his first letter. And we'll look at some of those as well. So this first, roughly verses 10 through 16, he addresses there that section where it says they indulge in the lust of defiling passion and they despise authority. The first, I'm sorry, the first 10 through 16 deals with them despising authority, which is a, in contrast to what he taught in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 17 gave us instructions of how Christians are to act in regards to authority. In 13 through 17 of 1 Peter 2, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. <clears throat> Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So many of the things that we see here stand in stark contrast to Peter's instructions for believers. These false teachers do not do those things. They are in violation of them. But he begins in that second half of verse 10 and says, Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. And that, that reading that we did, I did in Jude earlier, there's so many parallel verses there. In Jude 8 and 9, it says, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And he gives a description in verse 9. He says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So what we see here is even the angels don't make the claims of authority that these false teachers claim to have. And the angels, being greater in power than the false teachers, know that God is the true judge and the final authority. Angels do not presume, as false teachers do, to have the authority to pass judgment in their own wisdom. See, the false teachers are claiming to have authority and understanding of things that they could not possibly comprehend. If you, you get down to 2 Peter chapter 3, Verse 4, it gets to some of the, says scoffers will come, right? Verse 4 says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Right? So some of these, these things that they are teaching that are false are saying, Christ said he's going to return. He's not returning. 
it's how long has it been and he hasn't come back, it's not going to happen. He obviously was a liar, right? That's, that's some of their false teaching, that Christ was not the Messiah. His prophecies did not come true, and they're not going to. But it, like Jude said, even Michael the archangel, right? We don't know many of the angels' names, but Michael's one you're probably familiar with. But even Michael, the archangel, didn't rebuke the devil in his own authority. He says, the Lord rebuke you. He understands his position. He understands ultimate authority. These false teachers that Peter's describing have no concern for that. They are the authority in their eyes. Verse 10 says, they despise authority. In verses 12 and 13, says, But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage of further undoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Again, Jude talks some very similar things, specifically verse 10 of Jude. He says, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. I think what Peter's saying is here is, They've put about as much thought into what they're doing as a wild animal thinks about the things that it does by instinct. They have not considered the end result of what they are doing. And much like wild animals, they do not submit to authority. You ever try to get a skunk to submit to your authority? <laughs> you find out real quick that they don't much care for your authority. Like, like wild animals, they do not submit to authority. They are controlled by basic passions, right? Much like wild animals. And he says that those passions lead to destruction, right? So they have, they have chosen to follow their base instincts, and those base instincts do not lead to thriving. They lead to destruction, And there's some irony, I think, in this, where it stands in stark contrast to the claims of superior knowledge made by the false teachers. Right? So they take pride in their own wisdom. They're actually blind to the truth. And their own pride, their own blindness, results in their own downfall. He continues on there in that section and says... They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Right, so they're so proud, so arrogant, that the evil things which are usually reserved for night, they practice those things during the day. That's typical. That's when do evil things typically happen? Nighttime. Right? When's, I'm assuming if we talked to Zach, you asked him, what's your busiest time of like, dealing with trouble. It's probably during the night. That's when people are out. They think they can get away with stuff. D darkness, like, offers this cover, right? You feel like you're not, you're not seen as well. 
But he says, these guys, these false teachers, have become so comfortable in their ways that they, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They don't even, let's just do this out in the open. He continues on and says, they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. There's a couple things in there that are sort of jump out. If you think about the Old Testament sacrificial system, they had to bring a lamb, right, without blot or blemish. And he's describing these guys like they are blots and blemishes. They are the very thing that is unacceptable. But further than that, he says, while they feast with you. So these false teachers are intermingled with the believers that Peter is writing to. They are taking part in their, what was called love feasts. It'd be like our fellowship dinners, right? And they're, but they're coming, a time that is meant to be of fellowship and growth and expressions of love between fellow believers. They are now using those as opportunities for corruption. And they're taking pleasure in it. They, they revel the opportunity to do this. Again, Jude, verse 12, says, These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds. You have this a picture of a shepherd feeding themselves. Right, so what is the role of a shepherd with the sheep? The role of the shepherd is to care for the sheep. The role of the shepherd is not to care for himself. The role of the shepherd is not to eat the sheep. It is to protect the sheep. And yet, they are shepherds who are more concerned with their own welfare than they are with that of the sheep. Their priorities are backwards. The very instructions that have been given, they have them flipped. Verse 14 goes on, continues, says, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Right, this, this description of eyes full of adultery, it's this idea that they've lost all moral control. Everyone they set their eyes on is a potential partner for adultery to them. Right, they've given up on self-control. They, they are turned over to it. And it reminds you, reminds me of Matthew 5.28 where Christ says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So their eyes full of adultery don't have to be like, oh, they are actually committing adultery with everyone they see, but it's this idea that everyone that they see, they're thinking, okay. They have adulterous thoughts, everyone they see. Their eyes are full of it. It's every thought of their mind. It characterizes them. He said that further description, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, right? This idea of they cannot sin enough to be satisfied, right? Stands in stark contrast to the true Christian life where believers should be seeking to sin less, not looking for ways to sin more. Again, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Peter says, since 
Therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Right? The description he is giving of these false teachers stands in stark contrast to this description he's given of how believers should be in his previous letter. Verse 14 continues and says, They entice unsteady souls. And as you look through there more, it says they have hearts trained in greed. So there's, there's a contrast set up there. So they, and they go after those who are unsteady while they themselves are steady in their training of greed. And that word entice that is used there, it's a, it's a fishing metaphor. You know, the synonym for entice would be to lure, right? You have this idea of a worm on a hook gets the fish to bite. Unsteady souls are easily fooled because of a lack of discernment, much like a fish that cannot discern the hook hidden in the worm. The unsteady souls cannot discern the evil intentions of the false teachers, much like that worm on the hook, much like that lure. They see something that looks good, and they go after it because they don't know what is hidden beneath it. You don't understand. And then in the meantime, you have these unsteady souls, right, those who lack discernment, and you have, in contrast, the false teachers who have been training themselves in greed, according to what he says. They love themselves, and they are disciplined in achieving their own satisfaction. They, they are dedicated to it. They have spent time working on it. They are trained in it. He closes that verse by just exclaiming, Accursed children. Right? They're devoted to the curse of sin. It is the dominant thing in their lives, and they will reap the reward of judgment for it. Continuing into verses 15 and 16 here, it says, They are forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. And they have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Again, this parallel in, in Jude to this. Verse 11 of Jude you know, points out, says, Woe to them, much like that accursed children. But it says, For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. But we had talked, I had spoken about Balaam previously, and if you remember, Balaam was a prophet. He was a prophet for hire, which means he was not God's prophet, but he was a prophet who would, I will come pronounce judgments against people you don't like for the right price. And the kings saw Israel coming, and they were afraid, and so they went to Balaam and said, hey, come prophesy against these, these Israelites. And 
there was some intervention on God's part to withhold Balaam, and Balaam still continued to try to go along and, and prophesy against, right? And in the midst of this, Balaam's riding his donkey. He's going out to meet with these kings, and the angel of the Lord is in the way, standing ready to kill Balaam. And Balaam's donkey speaks to him. He's so caught up in his, so, in his own pride, he is so greedy for gain, that he gets rebuked by a donkey, right? Pointing back to where he was talking about their irrational animals, he's pointing out this irrational animal that rebukes Balaam, a symbol of his foolishness, right? Balaam, the great prophet, has to be corrected by a donkey. A donkey has to point out to him that he's being stupid, right? You shouldn't be doing this. Peter's drawing that parallel here to these false teachers. They've, they are following the way of him. They are seeking gain for evil doing. They are much like Balaam. They are foolish. In verse 17, he says, These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. In our day, you think when your well goes dry, it's an it's a inconvenience, I guess would be one way to put it, right? You, you can find another way to get water, typically. Um, in their culture, they are in the Middle East, many of them. It's a desert area, and they're also an agrarian society, right? Water is a precious necessity of life. It is also a precious necessity of life for us, but our modern conveniences make it seem easier, right? We, we don't have to, when's the last time you went and hand dug a well? <laughs> Maybe Tom Woolett has at some point in his life, but the rest of us have never done that. But a wireless spring is useless, and it can lead to death, right? You're traveling through the desert, you see this oasis up ahead, and you're like, oh, yes, water, I can be refreshed, I... I can go further, and you get to it, and there's nothing there. It is a spring without water. In a similar fashion, he talked about mist driven by a storm. So if you're in the midst of a drought, and you see the storm clouds approaching, and you say, yes, we're saved. My crops can continue, and our family won't starve to death. Rather, in this instance, the mists are just blown through. You get a misting of your crops. You don't get a soaking rain to help them to thrive. This much-needed rain blows over. You don't get anything. That's how he's describing these false teachers. It looks like something good. It sounds so good. But in the end, it is destruction. It does not lead to anything good. Their promises are empty, and their end is destruction. In that second half of verse 17, he says, The gloom of utter darkness is reserved. Right? For, whom, for them, the gloom of utter darkness is reserved. Pointing back to 2 Peter 2, verse 9, 
where he says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. In the midst of all these descriptions of all these, these evil things and these greedy desires and deceptions, Peter reminds us, For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. They are destined for hell. Right? They will not succeed. They may look like they're doing well short term, but it is not, in the end, beneficial. They are under judgment. He continues in verse 18 saying, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in air. He says that they're speaking loud boasts of folly. You've been around that. There used to be when I worked in a shop up in Fairview. There was one guy who, like, you could be on the far end of the shop and you could hear his voice. Like, he was this, this loud guy and he, and he liked to boast about his follies. <laughs> right? Loud boasting. Right? Just because you're loud and everybody can hear you doesn't mean you're right. It just means you're loud. We say they're loud boasts of folly. They are proud of the things that they do. They are arrogant. They, they might even sound good. And they're really confident about it. And sometimes things that sound good, delivered by a confident person, will win over a lot of people. But they lack truth. They are folly. They are foolishness. Charisma, smooth talking, a good sales pitch can be very convincing but it is not an indicator of truth. And it says that they lure people, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Again, you have that word entice, synonym of lure, right? They, they pull people in by corrupting God's good gift of sex, right? Instead of being used for God's good purposes, it is now used to fulfill their own sinful desires. It is used to corrupt people. And it says people who are barely escaping from those who live in air. They're drawing those people away. Second Peter 1 verse 4 says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Right, so these are people who are, maybe they are, they have heard the gospel, they are gaining a knowledge of it, they, but they have not placed faith in Christ, and they are being drawn away before that can happen. They are lured Verse 19 says, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. Thinking about what this, you know, freedom, freedom, and as Americans, we like to talk about freedom a lot. It's, we have to define what freedom is. Right? Freedom is not getting to do whatever you want. Right? Doing whatever you want can lead to death and destruction. That's our first impulse is I have freedom. It means nobody can tell me what to do. 
I can do whatever I like. I have true freedom. And that's what they're saying. They promise them freedom. You can do whatever you like. The problem with doing whatever you like is that you are not the standard of truth. You do not get to decide what freedom is. God gets to decide what freedom is. See, true freedom is being in obedience to God because that is what is best for you. It is what results in the best outcomes in life. Freedom to your own desires and your own intentions ultimately leads to destruction. It is not freedom. We've, we've said many times, and Scripture talks about it, that you are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to Christ. There's no in-between. So what you think is freedom, you are actually in bondage one way or the other. It is who are you in bondage to. And when you are in bondage to Christ, you have such great freedom. You have freedom to be in right relationship. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Right? Slave to sin, slave to Christ. You have two options. Verse 20, going on, says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. This is a verse that you can do a quick reading of it, and you can say, oh, there it is, you can lose your salvation. Right? These people were saved, and they have lost it. But as you look more into it, it says that they have the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it's possible to hear the gospel. It is possible to have knowledge of Christ and to be a good person by the world's standards and still not have a saving faith in Christ. Hebrews 10 Verses 26 through 31, if I can find it here. There we go, Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 26, it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, has outraged the Spirit of grace? If we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
In verse 26 there, it said, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, the common word that I was seeing there between this Hebrews passage and 2 Peter is they talk about knowledge. They, you have the knowledge of Christ. It does not say that they have faith in Christ. It is not a saving faith. It is knowledge. They know of him. And he goes on and says, the last state has become worse than the first, right? So if you have that knowledge of Christ and then are enticed away, it, is, it ends up being worse for you because now you, you know what you've missed out on and the punishment is greater. But these, we would not say are believers who have turned away from Christ. These are people who knew of Christ, but did not believe in him. Commonly heard it compared to a parachute, right? So just metaphorically, Christ is the parachute. And you can have a parachute. You can say, yes, I know this parachute. This parachute has the ability to save me if I jump out of this plane. And I can describe the parachute, I can tell you all the materials it's made out of, I can tell you how to work it, but you have to put the parachute on. You have to actually place your faith in the parachute. These are people who know of the parachute, they are aware of the parachute, but they have not put on the parachute. They do not have faith in Christ. And that phrase, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Jesus, when he was talking, he was Matthew 12, 45 is one of the instances. He talks about someone who is demon-possessed and how this, this demon is cast out and goes away. And eventually the demon comes back and it finds this, the place like swept out clean and like it's more inviting than ever. And he invites seven of his buddies in. So now it's become, and Christ says there, the last state has become worse for them than the first. It is, things have gotten worse because of that knowledge that you had. You were held to higher account. That was one of the things that he was saying was being said in Hebrews 10. Verse 21 says, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Right? Knowing the truth and rejecting it increases one's responsibility before God. And Christ told a parable along these lines in Luke chapter 12. Forty-seven and forty-eight in regards. This is about servants. Who this master went away and didn't really say when he was coming back. And some of the servants have chosen to say he's not coming back. So I'm going to take advantage of this and I'm going to benefit from it. There's parallels to these false teachers. 47 through 48 of Luke 12 says, And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready for, get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what, 
and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much has given was given, of him much will be required, and from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. As Christ pointing out the having the knowledge and not acting on it receives a severe punishment than not having the knowledge and yet still being guilty. There is still punishment. He's saying there is greater punishment. And Peter closes this, this chapter saying what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. This Proverbs 26 verse 11. Right, these, when he's talking about those who are barely escaping, uh, those who have knowledge of the truth but don't have faith, right? the dog returns to its own vomit. They, they return to their nature, back to this picture of being like irrational animals. So in this chapter, Peter's given us many detailed descriptions of the attributes of false teachers. Right? Some of them, they have no respect for authority. Meanwhile, believers are to be characterized by their respect for and obedience for authority, especially the authority of God. These false teachers have no respect and especially for the authority of God. He says they are attractive and deceptive. They are manipulators for their own gain. They love sin. They take advantage of people with weak wills. He says they distort God's good gift of sex for their own pleasure and gain. They abuse it. And then he says they are fruitless, yielding nothing good, and their end is destruction. And then he closes that out, saying they entice those who have knowledge of Christ, but don't have faith in Christ. So it's important in the midst of all this that we evaluate ourselves. Do we have just knowledge of Christ without faith? Right? Have you placed faith in Christ and in the power of his blood to take away sins? That metaphor, the parachute. Do you, do you know the parachute, but you haven't put it on? Right? Put it on. Do you simply have knowledge of Christ or do you have faith in him? Do you trust in him to save? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all these descriptions that Peter has given us of false teachers, um, the things to be aware of, to look out for. Help us to have saving faith in Christ, Lord. Amen. must be careful of those false teachers. On the other hand, you must be able to rejoice in the fact that we are under the wings of a great God if we know him. We're cared for him. We're going to sing that song, Under His Wings, 443. Let's stand and sing this song together as we close. <clears throat> Under his wings I am safely abiding, though the 
night deepens and tempests draw wild. Still I can trust him, I know he will keep me. He has redeemed me and I am his child. Under his wings, under his wings, who from his love can sever? Under his wings my soul shall abide, safely abide forever. Under his wings what a refuge in sorrow, how the heart yearningly turns to his rest. Often when earth has no balm for my healing, there I find comfort and there I am blessed. Under his wings, under his wings, who from his love can sever? Under his wings my soul shall abide, safely abide forever. Under his wings, oh what precious enjoyment, there will I hide till life's trials are o'er. Sheltered, protected, no can harm me. Resting in Jesus, I'm safe evermore. Under his wings, under his wings, who from his love can sever? Under his wings, my soul shall abide, safely abide Gracious Father, we're thankful for your word, for its warnings against those who would threaten to undo church people, that would threaten to bring false teachings, and and Lord, uh, many times the teachings look almost like what we believe, but the world has many of those false teachers, and we pray you'll help us to be diligent to know your word and by it be able to sort out those that we should not listen to. Thankful, Lord, for those who preach the word. Thankful for them sticking to the scriptures and teaching us. Help us to learn from it. Help us today to especially walk away appreciative of that which you've given us that's permanent. That once we are in a relationship with you, Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are yours forever. Help us to leave today excited and thankful for the blessings you give us as your children. In Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed.